1: you're listening to the hunting Land man podcast this is slade priest your host the hunting Land man rack buck down here on opening day if you're interested in rack bucks and real estate and everything that has to do with hunting property this is the podcast for you well how y'all doing it's slade priest here the hunting Land man here for another episode new ryan episode 11 is that right episode 11 i'm super excited about our guest today um this guest is somebody I talk to a couple of times a week. Usually, if business is good for both of us, that means we're talking a lot. So Landon Ratliff here with Appraisal South. Landon uh, is one of our main appraisers we use in the area. There's a couple of really good ones, but Landon probably uh, probably does as much for us as anybody. And appraisals are, are an awesome topic to talk about. They are involved at some point in every real estate transaction, even if you don't get an appraisal, and I'll go into that. And uh, there's just a lot to learn today. So if you're interested in ever buying, selling real estate, if it's land or anything, this is a good podcast to listen to. Landon, thank you for being here, man. Thanks for having me, Slade. Well, Landon and I pretty got a pretty cool relationship. Uh, you know, we've done work stuff together. And then last year, well, not this season, but last season, he had a problem turkey, and uh, we just got lucky, and uh, we we killed the tur- Landon killed the turkey, and it was a really good turkey. And your first turkey, correct? That's right. Well, Landon, tell us a little bit of who you are and what you do. Just just give us a little quick breakdown of
2: that. All right. Well, uh, I'm from the local area here, uh, originally from Tylertown, Mississippi, but uh, went to school over here in Macomb, and uh, it, I got into this business in a very strange way. So my grandfather was actually uh, in the real estate business way back in the 80s, and for some reason, when I got ready to uh, go to college, I decided that I wanted to be a real estate appraiser which I don't think anybody has that idea ever. I don't even know how I even knew what a real estate apprezzler was. Um, Where did you go to college? Oh, at Ole Miss. Okay. Yeah.
1: Apologize about
2: that. Uh, I know. You, you, you LSU people, And just uh, – for anyone listening, uh, we're in Macomb, Mississippi, and there's more LSU fans than anything around here, but – It's hard not to be. Well, look, uh, we had such a bad duck season a couple of years ago. My buddy said that I'm giving up on everything. He's like, after this season, I'm going to be an LSU fan, and I'm going to start deer hunting. And I was like, well, you'd be happy Mm -hmm. because the the, the Ole Miss always leaves us disappointed on the uh, football field and and the same thing with the duck season. What you're trying
1: to say is deer can't fly and LSU wins.
2: That's right. They win consistently. You know, you just have one rough year every now and then. But uh, anyway, so uh, I I made a phone call when I was 18 to a guy and he said, you don't want to get in this business. It's terrible. So I just, I wrote it off and wound up going to business school and, uh, uh, spent a little bit of time in DC, and then came back here, and I uh, actually worked in the building supply business, which I really enjoyed. And then uh, Benton Gibson, who's one of the founders of this office here, uh, he was building a little camp out, out around his house, and he said, uh, "Hmm," he said, he told his son, he said, "I really like that landing guy." He said, "You think you want to be a real estate appraiser?" And as soon as he approached me, I said, "I'm 100 percent in." So uh, it worked out really well, and uh, I was lucky to have a really good appraiser, and uh, agent who, who was able to guide me through the process. Uh, it's kind of complicated to get your license, and it's kind of like an engineer where you have to work a, a couple of years underneath someone before you can uh, actually wind up getting a license. And that's the main... It's an apprenticeship, correct? Pretty much, yeah. And that was Benton, who you worked under? Correct, Benton Gibson. And But uh, it, it winds up being... It's supposed to be three years. It winds up being four or five years for certified general appraiser, Um, and there's three types of appraisers. You have a licensed appraiser, you have a certified residential appraiser, and then a certified general, and the certified general can pretty much do any type of appraisal, Um, and the certified residential can do any type of residential property, and then a licensed appraiser can, can do, it's kind of a complicated situation, but licensed appraisers are not able to do any federally related transactions, and so a lot of your houses are being bought on the secondary market, and uh, they can't do that type of work. If that makes sense.
1: That makes sense. Now, you know, being that this is the Hunt and Man podcast, I'm wondering, so I'm sure our audience is, of those three qualifications, which one do you need for land?
2: Hmm. Well, that's a good question. All three. <laughs> uh, well, actually, when it comes to land, uh, you any of those people can do that appraisal. Most of your bigger banks are going to want a certified general because... Uh, most of these land tracks around here, there's a lot of them that are very large and uh, you get into a lot of factors when you're appraising land, just as you know, when you list land and uh, you kind of need to know what's going on and have a good uh, ground base in knowing about timberland and, and the different parts that go along with it. So I'm going to just back up
1: a little bit. And from our audience standpoint, I'm going to, I'm going to play dumb a little bit and kind of just tell y'all, okay, this is the way this works. So, in a real estate transaction, okay, you're interested in real estate, okay, we find your place. All right, Slade, uh, you found this 100 Acres in Woodville, and this is what we contracted it for. Um, we checked a little box on the contract that says it has to appraise, which we usually do. Uh, if you are getting any type of loan, you're going to have to get an appraisal. So, Slade, how do I know if I'm not pay- if I'm paying too much or-, or if I'm paying in market where I'm at? Well, that's where the appraiser come in, and that's where... An appraisal is important for the bank because something happens to you and the bank had to foreclose. They need to know that they're getting good value for your money. Now, usually, in as Alex and Reiser and I talked with, the, uh, with Southern Ag Credit. By the way, I almost forgot to mention, all these episodes are brought to you by Southern Ag Credit. They take real good care of us. Uh, they do in-house appraisals. We'll talk about maybe that on the end of the podcast. But I know Landon has done some stuff for them. But uh, they take good care of us, our clients. I was doing deals with them last week. I'm doing deals with them this week. Good people over at Southern Nag Credit. But um – Anyway, you know, with with the Southern Ag Credit or with any of your banks, you're usually doing on the super low end 10% down, but usually fifteen to twenty-five percent down. We usually see twenty in the land market. And they need to know, okay, we will appraise you I mean we will loan you eighty percent. Let's say you contracted a place for three hundred thousand dollars, they'll loan you two hundred and forty, you know, eighty percent of that. I think I did that math right, but uh, and that's where landing comes in. So that is where an appraisal fits into into this equation is if you're going to finance land and then on the, on the, let's say you're, there's a lot of cash buyers right now. Um, there's never a bad idea to get an appraisal when you're buying a cash place. We're going to get in that. I got that as one of my questions, but, um, you know, even if you got cash money and it don't matter what you're spending, it don't matter if it appraises, you need to make a good investment and a good agent. And Landon will agree with this. A good agent, if he's doing his job, he's basically doing that. So, in the land business, if I show up and you've got a track of land you want to sell, land and you got got 1,000 acres because you're a big dog and you're going to sell a 1,000 acres. Boy, we in, only wish. In Amick County with hard gobbling turkeys over, why would you ever sell it? But anyway, if you want to sell it, what I do as an agent, what any good land agent will do is come out there. They will have people in their toolbox, in their phone book, like Landon, like the banks. They'll look on the MLS. They'll look at things for sale. And basically, an agent is subconsciously doing an appraisal. And the way I do it now, I, I can't speak for all other agents, but the way I'm teaching new Ryan and the way I'm doing it, typically I take a place and I know that we usually get 93 to 94% of our asking price. And that's just data. I don't make that up. That's just data I know from our sales. And we look at all this stuff constantly. I'm playing on my phone, on my, on my, you know, what percentage are we getting of this? What are we doing of this? So what I try to do is I say, all right, uh, your land is worth... Hundred thousand dollars. We need ten percent negotiation. I usually put five to ten percent negotiation. So if I if it's listing at a hundred, you know, I'll put it at one. I mean, if we think it'll appraise at a hundred, we'll put it at one ten. Allow us to negotiate five or ten five or ten percent. Now, if I'm an agent, my job is to sell your property for as much as I can get get it for you. But at the same time, I've got to. If it's not going to appraise, usually it don't matter anyway. So it don't matter if a guy comes up there and it gives you way over value. If it doesn't appraise, it doesn't matter. So what I try to do is I tell my sellers, listen, you can't expect a buyer to pay more than your property's worth. And as you as a seller, I don't expect you to sell it for less than it's worth. Where are we going to meet? At appraisal value. And that's where land comes in. And look, there's a lot of... There's a lot of ridges we can go off on from there, but that's the premise of it. So uh, I'm going to start on our questions, if that's fine with you. Sure, sounds and good. And actually, I posted on Facebook, and I got, I posted on Facebook a minute ago, questions for appraisers. I'm about to do a podcast, and I got oh people, gosh, I got people weighing in like, Woo, it's a bunch of them. Um, I'll go through them in a minute. All right, so you, you define, my first question is, what is an appraiser? And appraiser basically goes out and gets land values. That's my first big question, Landon. You're going out. We're going, we're going to just talk about land since this is the Hunt and Landman Podcast. Where do you go about getting your values? How do you, I, if if I, if the bank says, hey, Trustmark Bank or UMB Bank or whoever it is says, we, uh, Landon, we need you to go appraise to this hundred acres over here. Tell me how this starts.
2: So the the easiest part is we'll we'll go right out there and look at the place. And uh, most of the time, if we can get on, if it's got a lot of good trails or anything like that, we want to hop on the four wheeler, ride around, take some pictures. We want to look at the food plots, the creeks that are running through it, and uh, you know, if there's some improvements, we want to measure all those, take good pictures, and we take a bunch of good notes, stuff like that. Because a lot of times these, you know, you, these Timberland tracks will come with sheds, equipment sheds, uh, barns, camps, all kind of stuff. Any other improvements, we'll, we'll check those out, and that that's the easy part. Uh, the harder part comes in when we when we go to try to figure out what market value is and like you said well Mississippi is a non-disclosure state tell them what that is so non-disclosure state means that pretty much everything you go look at the courthouse uh, so if Slade sells a piece of property next door to him and I want to go pull the deed to figure out when it's sold and we, we write on we'll write down uh, the uh, what you call it the uh, instrument number and see when it's sold nine times out of ten it's going to say ten dollars on it it usually says, so So most of our buyers don't know this. When I sell a
1: piece of property, it's going to say either $10 and other valuable considerations or $1,000 and other valuable considerations, unless it's on the MLS or it's a known sale. Or, we do not have to disclose in Mississippi what a place sells for.
2: Correct. And that that actually causes a problem when other appraisers come from out of state. They don't realize that Mississippi is a non-disclosure state, so they may take an assignment and then they get here and they realize that nobody wants to talk to a guy from Florida about what they just sold your hunting track floor. Uh, so the majority of the majority of our sales, we will get on the MLS. But we also we'll, we'll we'll see a lot of transactions going through that may not have ever been on the MLS, and so we can pull those aside and use those for comps. And uh, do you
1: have like I'm sure you have, do you have like a spreadsheet or a file of stuff that that you say okay Wilkinson County past three years? Click on this file and this is what.
2: Yeah, we have some software that keeps up with that. Okay. So we'll put the we'll put all the information into the database, and then we can search through it as far as how big it, how big the track is, or what county it's in. And uh, it's just like on another episode you mentioned about location. So if I have a track in Wilson County that's on sixty one, just south of Woodville, I'm going to try to find other sales that are that are near Woodville, you know, close to sixty one, as close as I can to that track, because it, it just depends on where you're at. And location is one of the biggest things, even in Timberland. You know, people always hear that adage, location, 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 that's all the value is. Uh, It's really important in houses, and it's really important in Timberland, too, just like it is in houses.
1: Well, Landon, I I know you do with me, and I I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it for our viewers. You call me a lot of times, Slate. I'm working on this appraisal. What do you have you think compares, of course, being a – for lack of a better term, local expert, you know, we do this a lot around here, you know, we usually know where the tracks and the areas and what that stuff sells for. You ha- I'm sure you have some other, you know, we, at, we talked about Alan Brideville at Russian Realty, a really good agent that works around here. I know he would be a good source. And basically we do the same thing We list
2: places. Right.
1: I'm sure other than me, you, ha- other than me and Scott, you have other agents, you bounce ideas off of. Sure. You. Sure.
2: Almost everybody. And, and, uh, y- Sometimes there's some really good tracks that may never even make it to the MLS. You know, I've seen multiple times where you or Alan or Scott or somebody will get a property and it'll be contracted before it ever gets a chance to get out in the open market. It, whether it be a neighbor or y'all just knew of a buyer that was ready to go, you I, know.
1: I, I got to, I'm going to stop you real quick on that. What is that, if it sells before it goes on the open market, does that mean you say, oh, it's at least worth that maybe more? I mean, that's...
2: Well, that, that's a good question. So when we look at these appraisals, we're looking at a whole lot of things. And so uh, when, you, when you use a comp, so let's say I find something on the MLS that's sold. And,
1: and just, uh, I like to be I like to play the dummy on these things. When we saw comps, that's comparable. That's comparable sales. So, you know, nothing's the same. No house is the same. No, you know, but what we try to do in land is a comparable sale. So if it's 1,000 acres over here and it's 1,500 acres over here, same county, same area, that's a comparable sale.
2: Right, right. And so let's just say I find a sale that I'm, I think I may use as a comparable property for an appraisal I'm going to do. Uh, if it's something that Slade sold, at some point I'm going to call Slade and say, okay, tell me about this track. Uh, I pulled a map of it. I've got the buyer and the seller and the date and the price. Uh, you mentioned there's some improvements. And so I'll get all the details from Slade about the improvements, how long it was on the market, how many offers did you have. Uh, and we have to consider all that stuff in 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 the scope of each comp. And so if it's a property that never got on the market, I'm going to say, well, why did it never get on the market? And uh, it could be that you just had somebody in your back pocket that was ready to go, or it could be an adjoining landowner, or maybe somebody had a first rider refusal and they took that offer. But we'll consider that uh, in each case. But you're right. A lot of times if it's something that just wound up on the, never got on the open market, but you already had a buyer, well, it could be one of those things where Slate will say, well, man, it was a really great track. And as soon as he saw it, he put in an offer, you know. that
1: that's And I feel that's the case a lot of times. He kind of covered. He hit all those points exactly right. A lot of times it's, you had somebody in your back pocket or joining landowner, uh, first rider refusal, all those sort of things. Well, um, it's just so much – there's so much good stuff we can dive into here. I'm sitting here thinking. Um, I'm just going to go around the list and make sure we cover everything. Um, you know, we figured – Landon told us where he got his comparable sales. Uh, all right, next question I have – I get this all the time. Slade, I'm paying cash. Do I need an appraisal, or why do I need an appraisal?
2: And uh, you'd be surprised. So, uh, my partner uh, Bobby Stutzman, he does houses, but we get a lot of phone calls every day. And I bet you about fifty percent of the people I tell them they don't, they might not want to use me. It just depends on the intended use. So, one of the main things, uh, market value, and I, I don't, I think I've touched on this in another episode, but market value is a willing buyer, and a willing seller. Nobody under duress. Nobody needing to get rid of some money to do a 1031 exchange. So it's just two separate parties that, that are, are so, not under duress. Does so, that make sense? So that, so a 1031 exchange, you note that in your appraisal? That, that is a... It depends. So I want to ask the agent or I want to ask the buyer or the seller. Okay? Okay, so you dive into these things. Yes. If, if there's a question about something. Right. Because it's the same thing if you have an adjoining landowner that buys something. So a lot of appraisers will just throw that out. Well, in my experience, a lot of times those are arm's length sales, you know, but I have to investigate to make sure because – That is good. But see, see, I've heard agents argue me the other way. Well, that was adjoining landowner. That don't count. You're saying it
1: do, does count.
2: Well, you have to make sure because if you call the guy that bought it, he'll say uh, – you know, I'll ask him straight up, Would you know, did you pay more because, you know, you wanted it? he said, no, I thought that was fair market value. He said, I wouldn't have bought it if if he wanted a ridiculous asking price. So uh, a lot of appraisers will not use an, a non-arm's length sale, meaning uh, the adjoining landowner. You know, they won't even use it. But I will use it if I think that it still represents a arm's length transaction. And the same thing happens if it's family members. So if you sell a piece of property to your brother, the hunting land man is not going to be giving his brother any deals. because <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Sal always gets deals. <laughs> you, you know. He's going to want to sell it to somebody else. Who knows? But you just have to talk to the buyer and seller to make sure. And if they contradict each other, then you know you may want to err on the side that it may not be arm's length. Does that make sense? That that definitely makes sense. See, I'm le- See, there's so much I'm even learning about this, so I know this is
1: good stuff. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna lead us into a question of how we come up with value. We've hit on this in other podcasts, and if you've ever talked to me on the phone, we probably talked about this. And then at the end of that, I'm going to say why I think. We're headed to where I'm wrong. Um, so anyway, typically in a normal transaction in Amit Wilkson, you know, this area we sell in, we usually have, this is the way an appraisal works, a dirt value, a timber value, and then any amenities, appraisals, things like that. How nice the place is, how good it shows, things like that can add a little bit. Um so if you're used to most of our buyers, you know, if you live in a subdivision or something like that, that would be like a certain subdivision of play. Okay, this subdivision appraises for this much per square foot of house. Same thing. You know, uh, You know, I'm almost scared to say it right now in Wilkson County, but I don't know. Super low-end Wilkson County, $2,000 an acre dirt, super high-end, 3500 And if you laugh at me right now, come look at my computer.
2: I'll show well, you a difference. Slade told me that about a year ago, and I said, dude, there's no way. And sure enough, we lag behind the market, appraisers do. And so when you told me that, I, I you know, I take it with a grain of salt, but as the sales have come through, I mean, you know, those sales are getting on up there. I mean, and every time you look, there's an, another sale that's a little bit higher and a little bit higher. So, so, Landon, uh, okay, you agree with me about
1: how we come up with the value, dirt, timber, improvements.
2: Yeah, and and that question is probably the hottest contested question in appraising land from Mississippi to Texas to Explain. Oregon, you name it. Okay. So the way it, when I started, almost every buyer of a large track, when they put their offer in to Slade, they would say, I'm, on, I'm willing to pay X number, let's say $2,000 per acre for the dirt. And I'll get a cruise. And I'll get a survey mm-hmm. and I'll get a cruise. And I'll pay you for whatever the timber cruise is at. Now that has changed. And me and Slade have discussed this before. Uh, these tracks where they used to just be bought by the same people. They were mostly timber people or people in the land business who would cut timber. Uh, they, would, they would do all kinds of things. They would, they would either cut timber or fix it up and resell it, something like that. But that's how they made their offers. And I think that's changing. I think Slade would agree uh, because the recreational part is the part that's hard to put your finger on. And so uh, now... it's a motion. It's right. less
1: to do with a commercial, commercial, you know, pricing.
2: Yeah, and people get and people get really attached to land, and it's not just. I mean, it, you know, I'm a new hunter. I just started ten years ago duck hunting. and I started turkey hunting two years ago. Now I see, the, you know, that part of it. But before then, you know, I had an he emotional started turkey attachment. hunting and all his appraisals went up. I don't know what's <laughs> telling you. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad I had Slade to help me. I I, I was way too loud. I never would have killed a turkey without Slade helping me. But it worked out pretty well uh but anyway, it just now now these offers are based on kind of a whole value timber and land does that make sense? Oh, I know what you're talking about, that's where I'm headed and so but but this brings me to another point uh you know, like I said, I turned down a lot of appraisals because what I'll say is I need to know the intended use, okay if you're about to just put it on the market then you may not need my appraisal. Uh, you know, a real estate professional who sells property like that all the time can get you close. If the two of y'all may not be g hoing, then it may not bad it may not be a bad idea to hire an appraisal. Some of these tracks, you know, if you're selling and, a t- and what, what, what Landon's saying is if I show up
1: for a listing appointment and I say it's worth this and they say, Well, I think it's worth this, I say, Well, I disagree, but I tell you what we can do, we can get an appraisal and then we can look at the
2: and the reason I say that's sometimes a good idea is because if you list a property too high, no one will come look at it. And, and what you said earlier, 10 to 5%, that's probably right. I keep up with all kinds of data. I look at how many days the track was on the market before it sold. And if you look at those numbers, when they start getting on up there past two years, they're probably listed way too high, and nobody's coming to look at them, and they get kind of stagnant on the market, and nobody wants to come look at them. Because even in myself, if, if I'm looking at a Timberland track close to my, my place in between here in Walthall County, if it's been sitting on the market for two years, something's wrong with it. There may not be anything wrong with it at all. With the perception. Yes, but in my perception, something must be wrong with it if it's been sitting on the market for two years and nobody's made an offer on it. And so that's a good idea because this is a huge investment, and you could be missing out on a lot of money. If you, if you don't know where you're at.
1: And Landon led us into a statement that I've been saying lately, I accidentally stumbled upon, is we may have to list your property lower. Listen real good. We may have to list your property lower in order to make you more money.
2: I agree. That that, that surely could happen. And especially in the way the market is now, and, and Slade's not blowing smoke. This market is unbelievable ever since i've been an appraiser this is the hottest this market's ever been from houses to timberland everything and you know who knows what all the factors are uh i'm of the theory that it's probably here to stay i mean there will be probably a little drop off in house prices uh but i think that the the trend on the long run is that this land value is going to stay on on up there a little bit but uh you know and land values i mean how long you been
1: doing appraising about 10 years and i've been doing real estate 15 years there's never if look look and look none of us have a crystal ball if we do we wouldn't have to be sitting here. But there's never been a time where land values did this like the stock market. You know, it may it may do this a little bit, but in general, it's a steady steady
2: steady trend up. Yeah, I would say over the last 10 years, we probably had two little dips. And when I say little dips, they weren't substantial. I would say maybe 10% were. And know, I'd, I
1: and I would call it more of a flattening.
2: Yeah, but you have to look at the overall picture. Mm-hmm. So if you take the dips, the ebbs, and flows from Katrina when things really shot up, well, then that was kind of a fluke. And then things fell down a little bit after Katrina. But since then, it's up and down, but it's, it's trended on the upward.
1: Right. And And, you know, what I always say about land, and I may have said this before, if Elon Musk or Trump or Biden can get on and tweet about something and it affect the value of your stock, personal opinion, you're in the wrong stock. Look, I'm sure you can make a bunch of money on Bitcoin. I got a buddy that runs Bitcoin Radio Podcast, and that's great. That's great. That, I, 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 And if you feel comfortable with it, amen, and it may be the next big thing, and it's looking like it probably is, but this is the deal. If Eli Musk gets on there tomorrow and says Tesla's doing this with Bitcoin or this with dog coin, or what, whatever it is, and it affects the market that much, look, every one of them could get on there tomorrow and say land sucks. I wouldn't buy land. And guess what would happen? Probably more people would buy land.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's a good point. Uh, There are a lot of factors that are going on right now as to why land's going up, but that's one of the main issues. If if you can't put money in a savings account and make any money or put money in a CD, land's a much better option, especially around here because at least you can grow timber. Now, you don't have to cut the timber, Mm -hmm. but at least you've got what appreciation you're going to get from the timber. And the dirt value appreciating. and, And I saw you post the other day, you know, the largest landowner in the country is Bill Gates. Bill Gates is diversifying by buying land, and I've read an article that his thought is is that he's trying to diversi- diver- diversify a part of his portfolio, and the majority of this ag land, he can rent it, and they've done studies where a lot of this ag land, it's appreciating you know, an average of 2% a year, plus he's getting a 6% cash rent. So he's making 8% on his money every year. Safe eight. Safe. Very safe eight. Safe, exactly. And a lot of tax write-offs,
1: which is so huge for him. Uh, with that, hey, exactly why I own a big piece of
2: uh, farm ground in the Midwest. That's right. There you go. I'm like Bill Gates except a lot less zeros. That's right. That's right. But you know, and and that's uh, one of the things that also changes real estate is your your market alternatives. You know, so even in the commercial space, what you expect a property to make depends on all these other factors that are going on in the economy. You know, right now where you can't put money in a savings account and make money. When I was a kid, I think my savings account was making eight to ten percent. Now it's making you know a fractional percentage, right? And so it's just another safe way to diversify your portfolio.
1: All right, we kind of touched on some of my um, on some of my uh, things, my questions here. Uh,
2: today's market will it last? So you you're thinking it will? It's here to stay. I don't have a crystal ball. You know, I like to watch CNBC, and you watch these stock guys. Nobody really knows what's going on. Now, least of all the stockbrokers, Matthew McConaughey. That's right. That being said, I mean, you know, I tell people this all the time. You know, there are a lot of weird situations that appraisals come in at. So, for example, there'll be a weird like circle shaped building that's metal or concrete that doesn't match anything in the market. And there aren't going to be any comparable sales. And when we get done with it, you know, we feel like I hope our guess is good because our appraisal is an educated guess. It is our opinion. Now, somebody could come in and totally disagree with my opinion on the next day and do a, do a similar appraisal. But we feel better because every now and then we'll see that those houses sell or those properties sell. And when they're really close to what we said, then it kind of proves that, that our educated guess was correct. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I totally get it. And, and it really is. It's, it's an opinion of value. And what's tough I had another broker, a really good broker in Mississippi we were talking about because I told him I was doing this podcast and he says, "Dude, it's so hard because a appraiser in his opinion is not a is not a, it's not telling you what something's worth. It's telling you what comparable properties has sold for in the past. It's a report of what's been sold in the past." is what he said. And and, and I, I thought about it. And I was like, "He's right." And if he said if he said if you had to only rely on appraisals, how do prices go up?
2: Yeah, that, that's a good point. And uh, it's something that you know me and my partner talk about a lot because you know if, if for example, just the lumber prices, if you don't even count the real estate market going up, if you just look at the lumber prices and how much a new house will cost, uh, you know, we don't have comps to justify that was what one of these my are questions. going up.
1: That was one of my questions somebody posted on Facebook to ask you. How has the how has the pandemic affected property uh property appraisals? This comes from Bryce Bell balsam. and how has the cost of lumber and the cost associated with building affected appraisals? I talked to an air conditioning guy last week, buddy of mine, air conditioning business. He said, "Dude, everything in my market just went up forty percent this week." Yeah. So what you're saying, what you were saying, is you don't have comps to support that yet, but at some point it's got to be addressed, correct?
2: Yeah. Well, in this hate in this case, we're talking about houses. I mean, most of these loans are going to be 30-year loans that are going to be government-backed. So as soon as whoever writes your mortgage, as soon as it goes out the door, within a month or two, they're going to sell it to the secondary market where Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac are going to buy it. And one of the challenges in, in that house part of it, the house appraisal part of it, is that they limit the adjustments we can make. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. so when I do a timberland track, and it, it, usually those are not going to be a federal related transaction, I can make any kind of adjustment I want to make. If I think that uh, that there's a house on this hundred acres that's worth a million dollars, I you know I can make whatever adjustments I need to that I feel I can justify. Mm-hmm. But on these house appraisals, they limit the amount of adjustments you can make, and it gets kind of off in the weeds, and a lot of people have a hard time understanding it, but. They will not let you make a single line item adjustment greater than 10%. They will not let you make a gross adjustment greater than 25% and no net adjustments greater than 15%. So they lock down where you can fall in your adjustments to where –
1: I mean, the first thing I hear when you say that is – and I'm just thinking about different things that, like, this feature on this property is better than 10%, better than anything – this is a, a ter- maybe a terrible way to say it, but it almost sets you up for failure sometimes.
2: Yeah, and and that's what's different from these yeah. these house appraisals than they are from the other appraisals that we do. Commercial the same way, I can make a hundred percent adjustment on a comp if I think it's inferior. Mm-hmm. I, if it could be it could be inferior by hundred percent. Good examples that appraisers always use are swimming pools. Okay that's what somebody has a questions somebody put on here about swimming. pools. Well, go ahead. Swimming pools, guest houses. Those are the two headaches that cause a lot of problems. I have a friend of mine uh, he purchased a lot and it had a huge guest house that the guy was living in. It was like a thousand square feet and he built his house next to it. Now the truth is, is that when you put that on the market, let's just say the house is worth 300. And let's say that in my opinion, it, you know the guest house could be worth a hundred thousand by itself by itself. No, even together, if you put it on the market, you might be able to get four hundred for it. But it's never gonna appraise. You know, a good example is because in, that second dwelling won't appraise for the square foot right. So if you're if all of your other comparables are three hundred thousand, that you cannot make an adjustment greater than ten percent for that guest house. So the most you could put on that guest house would be thirty thousand dollars. Okay. And another thing that those government loans require is to pick the middle of the range of values. So if you have three three comps and they adjust out to three, three twenty five and three fifty, it doesn't matter if you think three fifty is the best one. You've got to use 325. If, if you don't do it, they'll throw it back and say no good. So what Landon is telling y'all on all this stuff, if you've ever been mad at him or other
1: appraisals, they have rules for things they can do, and it, it's just tough sometimes. That leads us into our next question. Um, what, if my, what if I contract a
2: place in my appraisals to luck? Okay, that's a very good question. Uh, and I tell people this all the time. I got a lot I got a lot of friends. So as you know, you're in the land business, you got friends call you all the time. This is happening. What do you think? They asking your opinion. Nine times out of ten when I get a call from a friend, they're complaining that the appraisal was too low. And my first question is I ask who it was because I know which appraisers are good and which ones aren't. And if they tell Amen. me and they tell me one of one of the guys that I know does a pretty good job, I'll say, Well, look, they're a really good appraiser, they know what they're doing, but go ahead and send it over and I'll be glad to look at it for you. Um and nine times out of ten, the appraiser was right. Uh, and I'll tell them that. But if, if you get in a situation where your appraisal comes in low, there, there are things you can do. So any, any good appraiser, professional appraiser, will, will listen to you and, and hear uh, your arguments as to why you don't agree with it. The problem is is that we're going to have to have other comps. And when you have a good agent that's professional, they'll go quick. As soon as, as, soon as it looks like it may not go, they'll send you some comps. And if they send me some comps, uh, I, I'm I, I make mistakes, you know. And so if if there's something and, that
1: and I the, and, and to back Landon or any other appraiser up, usually the agent knows more about the property. Therefore, if the agent that has say, access to the same MLS that Landon does can maybe say, "Look, I've got a comp. Did you look at this one?" And the heck, if there's three thousand comps, it's sometimes hard to find the exact ones.
2: Right, because, you know, let's just say, for example, I, you have a 100-acre track. Well, I may search everything from 70 to 150 acres. Who knows? Well, I may have missed something that was 160 acres that may have been a good comp, but I didn't, at the time, I didn't even want to look at it because it was outside of that size that I was looking for, or maybe it's a little further out than I thought, uh, you know, but, but it's still a good comp that I could have used. So what I tell people when when, when they have a problem with an appraisal is to talk with the appraiser, uh, be respectful. And, you know, I tell people this all the time when they don't agree with me. Uh, you know, it's just an opinion of value. And if you have some more data, I'll be glad to look at it, and I'll be glad to listen to your concerns. And I, and I may change it. And now, there's some pressures out there that don't want to change it. Once it's gone, they're not going to reconsider it again. And most of the time, I do not change it. But if there's some data out there that that I need to rethink or there's some things that are maybe brought up that uh, I didn't think about that that maybe I should reconsider – then I'm not above changing it. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I'm gonna um,
1: use another line from Wolf of Wall Street here. Uh, me and Landon and the banks and some loan officers and things like that. We say this all the time. Appraisals are a fugazi. And what's a fugazi? It's here. This area. It's well, What is it? You know. And what? And, and it. And we said this before the podcast, but I'm gonna repeat it. Okay. Tomorrow, if I contract this track land at four hundred thousand dollars. Landon's gonna laugh when I say this, but guess what? The appraisals will come in usually four hundred, four hundred two, and something like that. And that is because
2: that is because this is this is another good hot topic. It's a hot topic, and uh, when when I when you know if I go out and do an appraisal, let's just say it's some just strange person off the street I never met before, and they got referred to me. uh, I have to ask if it's sold in the last three years, and I have to analyze that sale and kind of summarize the details and put it in the report. And if it's under contract, I have to do the same thing. I have to look at the contract and analyze it as well. So that is part of a regular appraisal As you look at the contract and, of course, sales price and all that. Right. Argument being that if you got it contracted, I should probably give it a look because, you know, if, if I'm coming in too low, well, maybe I need to look back because it's been on the market for only 30 days and it's already contracted and then, you know, if it's coming in low, I'll call Slade and I'll say, well, you know, have you had any more offers or something like that? And a lot of times there'll be multiple offers coming in on it. And, you know, all that all that information we take in and, and we summarize it in the report. Most of the time, the report's going to the bank. They're the client. They're, they're the intended user.
1: Yeah. So the bank is the client for land and not the person buying the property.
2: Yeah. And so my goal of the appraisal is to make sure that they're not loaning too much money out on this place. But that brings me to another point. A lot of people get mad. Uh, Let's say Slade gets something contracted, and the guy's name is Bob who's buying it, and he's the one that's paying for the appraisal going to the bank. When I get done, Bob's going to call me and say what it come in at. Okay, I (laughs) know it sounds crazy. Every every day. I cannot tell Bob. Bob is not the client. I can only tell the client. Now, I think there's also, don't quote me, but I think there's a law requiring the bank to Mm -hmm. give Bob a copy of the appraisal, but I am not allowed by the law To tell Bob what it appraised for, because he's not my client. That's
1: good information. Tell me this. I've never asked you this, but this is a good thing. Of course, unless it's where I have my house, you know, if me or Scott or Ron Rushing or any of these wholesale guys buy a piece of property, our intended use usually was to, at some point in the two to three years, resell it. Do you take that in consideration? What I'm saying is, if I buy a piece of property, you know, I probably got a pretty good deal on it, or or, or I or I have a plan to make it worth more. Do you consider any of that?
2: Uh, well, I mean, if it's something that I know you are flipping, uh, most of the time, I don't want to pay any attention to the. I mean, I, I will still report, you know, what you paid for it and everything, but it, it doesn't matter because I know that you are going to get it for cheaper. And nine times out of ten, if it's one of if it's one of you guys, or if it's one of those guys that that's uh, maybe in the timber industry, and they'll buy something, and then mm-hmm. they'll immediately cut half of it, and then turn it back and put it on the market within two months, clean it up, do some dozer work, things like that, and then you know, I note it, but I don't give it any weight because I know y'all got a deal. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, if it's something that y'all bought, you probably get a deal. And that and and that's not a that people like what we do or, or dishonest or anything like that. It's
1: like. Um, you know, my family's in the timber business. You know, I know all about the dirt business. I know things about that. So there's things like if I know that there's a good timber market come up, I need a track where I can capitalize on that. I may buy your track because sure. of knowledge. You know, knowledge It's no different than if somebody's in a stockbroker business and, you know, they know that Google's about to buy. Yeah, whatever.
2: Yeah, but that could be anybody. I yeah. mean, you know, if if, if if I found something, you know, I, I'm probably not going to buy it unless it's a deal. Right. You know, and I'm going to want to try to make sure that I can flip it make some money. And there's a lot of people out there. It's not just real estate professionals uh, or timber guys, but, you know, anybody can do that.
1: Right, right. Uh, and it's all gambling, so it's not like we got a
2: crystal ball. It's true. It, it feels a little safer, though. Mm-hmm. Like we said, I mean, you know, like it, worst case scenario, you can hunt it. Right. And, and you can cut the timber, and you can hold on to it for a little while. And you can go ride in the afternoon with your kids and catch a fish. That's right, and that's uh, right.
1: It's, it's hard to beat land. Uh am going keep going and so I'm going to look at some of this um some of this uh, list here on Facebook, All right, expectations for 2022. I'll say this now. It's not too early now. 2021 is hotter than 2020, and that's crazy to say, but I'm looking at the numbers right behind Landon. It is.
2: Uh, There's no doubt. Uh, I kind of track the entire market by half year, Mm -hmm. and uh, we looked yesterday, and, you know, it's insane. Days on the market's down. Average sales price is way up. And the, the number of listings out there is going down. And uh and which which you know, that's why Slade's always begging for listings. I mean, you know, in this this is the kind of market where if you're unsure about, about keeping a piece of property, it's a good time to sell it, that's for sure.
1: If you're thinking about selling the next three years, I told somebody that on on my way over here today. Do it. Yeah. I
2: mean, it's it's good. And, and that brings me to another point. I mean, my favorite part of the job, uh I, you know, I'm a big Dave Ramsey guy, I listen to Dave Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And the guy called in and said he wanted to build some mini-storages. And he said, well, why do you want to build mini-storages? And he got to the bottom of it, and he just decided that the guy was calling. He just wanted to make money. And the guy said, well, you're, Dave Ramsey said, you're not going to – this isn't, this isn't going to go anywhere just because you want to make money. you got to do something you love. And, uh, and Slade loves his job. He loves hunting. He loves uh, helping people with land. And, you know, you can back me up too. I mean, you want to help people. And I want to help people, too. And, uh, you know, we do all kind of stuff. So i have people that call from out of state. And, look, if you live five states over, you're not coming here too often to check on that place. And a lot of times I'll tell those people, I'll say, look, uh, if you need the money or if you don't want to deal with the hassle, you probably should go ahead and get rid of it. You know, Now, if you've got the money and you want to just let it sit there and, uh, you know, keep farming timber off of it, then that's one thing. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff to keep up with. So you think that...
1: I guess no crystal ball, but twenty twenty two, you don't expect it slowing down. I
2: don't know if it's going to keep going up like this. Uh, I, I would. It all depends on these external factors that are out there: the stock market, the interest rates. Who knows? I just personal opinion: the
1: inventory isn't going to all of a sudden in twenty twenty two pick up. You know, we have this many buyers and this much inventory. It's not going to all – You know it it's going to take a while to stair-step down.
2: Yeah, that's the interesting thing about looking at the data that I track is that all those numbers I set are up, but the inventory is down. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that, that tells you that there's still going to be a, a seller's market out there with inventory being that low.
1: All right, we're going to keep going. Um, one, Also, one that different appraisers di- value differently. Oh, hold on just a second. Oh, yeah, here it is. From an appraisal's point of view, best things to do to improve, add value to your hunting property?
2: Now, that's a good question, and, and Slate could probably answer this too. Uh, I ran into a guy a while back, I think it was maybe in Claiborne County, and he had built a shop, you know, to put his uh, tractor in and stuff like that, and he had finished out a little camp or whatever, and he was building all these big ponds and stuff. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, you can build a pond, that's fine, especially, you know, if it's a place that you're going to stay at for a while. But this guy was strictly there to flip it. And, uh, and Slay can back, back me up on this, but when I'm going out there, we're looking at the property as a whole. And so what most buyers want is what I'm looking at. And so they want the interior trails to be manicured and well-maintained, maybe a fire lane pushed, a good gate up on the front, uh, some security around the entrance so people just don't walk in there. Uh, so food, food said, plots,
1: hey, good roads, good food
2: plots, gates. Yep. I, I would say those are the major things. I mean, you can get into some real money going out there and trying to build a lake. Uh, a lot of times, it's not as easy as just going to build a lake. you, you got to get a lot lakes of people involved.
1: like pools. Sometimes, they will help your property sell, but you better hope the right guy comes in the gate. And lakes are weird because you can build a lake. People say, I get this all the time. How much it costs to build a lake, like I don't know. How much it costs to build a house? You, right. You know, what... what how big? Where at? You know, what are you putting into the house? What you, it's just so many factors. So it's a. Uh, I'm actually I'm actually contemplating this question on a place I just bought. It's a beautiful spot right at the entrance for a, a nice three to five acre lake. I'm going to get it valued and I'm going to really,
2: I'm going to really yeah, look into it. You know, if you want to do something like that, you really got to think about it and get the right professionals involved to figure out what it's going to cost. I mean, because it depends on where it's at. I mean, you might have to bring in dirt, you might have to move some dirt around. Uh, will it hold water? Will it hold water is number one question. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people spend a lot of money, and then it, why, it, it, they can't hold water in it. But they don't have the right dirt around it to, to keep it, you know, from, from falling down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but same thing that, that these buyers are looking at, you know, slaking a the test. They want a turnkey place a lot of the time. And uh, you can get a place cheaper sometimes if it's, if it's, if it's just a bare piece of 200 acres there's not a trail through it and nobody's hunted it for 20 years – you got a lot of work to do. You know the, the dozer cost is pretty expensive, and uh, so that, that's usually what I'm looking for: is good interior trails, creeks, things that attract wildlife, uh, things like that. And and I think that he talked
1: talk about dozer costs and things like that. If you can't see a property, if it doesn't show well, man, that bush hog or that mulcher or that dozer, you can usually I I say pay for it. If let's say you spent five thousand dollars on that type of work. I usually say you can get $10,000, 15000 out of that money because yesterday, this is an example. New Ryan and I were looking at a piece of property. It was early in the morning, which a lot of clients, we start early in the morning looking at property. the summer, it's hot. We got limbs hitting us. I'm getting soaking wet. That's a million-dollar piece of property. I'm like, do I want to spend a million dollars right now? No, I want to get dry and get all these spider webs off of me. Or you're talking about a million-dollar piece of property. I spend 5000 bucks a week with a dozer, four or five days with a dozer, a mulcher, or whatever the case may be. I ride on, man, this place is nice. Nice little trails. And I feel good when I get off it. With these recreational tracks, a lot of times we're buying, people are buying it off of emotion. So you got to have a good emotional experience. And look, I study this stuff. I, like you said, I love what I do. I study this stuff. How somebody looks at a piece of property, how they feel when they get off of it, how mama feels when she drives in, Oh, it can make a break. That, I agree. It really not. I tell people all the time, this is funny. I think I've said this on a podcast. Most of my clients are from Louisiana and sometimes their husbands come.
2: Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> got, true. Hey,
1: if mom ain't happy, nobody's happy.
2: That's right. I remember looking at a track, uh I was appraising a track, you sold on the Homachitta and the whole family was there to check it out. You know, and, and that's uh
1: On the and, home of Chitta, which one was that?
2: Oh, I can't remember. It had a it was a big old track on the Home of Chitta. I think I might have split it up a little bit, but uh Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah. The whole a family came out there to mm-hmm. look at it, but but I agree, and uh, that's why I tell these people call from out of state, and I'm saying, well, "Look, here's what it appraises for." And this is a good point that I, we probably need to mention. This is what it appraises for. Now, what you can get it for, it's a different story, good or bad. My appraisal is what I think market value is, a fair market value is of this day. But the market's hot, and if you know, and I'll tell them, you know, if you spent, if you find some professionals and spend about twenty thousand dollars getting out there, let's bush hog it, let's push a fire lane, let's put in a couple food plots, get some interior trails in there. And then, you know, you could probably get more for it then. But it just depends on the situation. They may not have the money to put 20000 down, but if they've got it, it's usually a really good investment.
1: This next, I'm going to go back, it made me think about something. I'm going to go back to, you know, what if my property doesn't appraise? I do this, you know, usually for what I sell, I sell some higher-end stuff, and it's usually a higher-end client. You know, typically... Nothing wrong with either one, but typically these people aren't like that's too much. That extra five thousand or ten thousand is I'm not gonna be able buy it without that. With that, with that being said, what I tell my clients is, okay, what's your goal for this piece of property? Um, you know, I'm gonna cap it for my kids, leave it for my grandkids. I want to have this 15, 20 years minimum, and this is my plan. I tell them, I say, okay, your property didn't appraise; it's fifteen thousand dollars off, and it's a five hundred thousand dollars sale. I said, are you gonna let? That $15,000, is that going to matter in 20 years? No, that ain't going to matter. Man, we, you know, we have a good year. I, I'll, never, I'll never miss that 15000 Well, what are we talking about? Is our goal, you got to really look back. When you, when you, when you Googled hunting land man online and you started looking at the websites, when you looked at that, your goal was not to say, I can't wait to get a good deal. That, that didn't even come in the equation. The equation was, I can't t- wait to take my grandson and hear a turkey gobble or catch a fish in that creek or, or man, make my own food plot, no hunting camp, no nothing, my own spot and kill a big deer. When we're all dead and gone and dirt's on top of us, 15000 is a lot of money, but but, but you have to consider it. You have to take the business hat off at some point and say, listen, this was Landon or any other praises of pinion value that day. Is this extra 10%? I actually told a client this this week. It was actually 1.5%. It was a big deal. It was a lot of money. It was 1.5%. I said, listen, I don't want to see you lose this once-in-a-lifetime type of property over 1.5% because one day that that, that 1.5% is not going. My deal is it, I'm just like this. I paid at least fair market value for where I live right now. And guess what? When I, when I drive up to my house or whatever, and let's say I paid ten or $20,000 too much or whatever the case may be. So what? Work a little harder. Make that extra money up. You bought the piece of property that you smile every time you come in the gate. When you go hunting, you get to tell your buddies, I got the spot or whatever. Forget that ten or $15,000. And, and that is the true emotional buy of what we're selling and what we're talking about here. So like you said, it's, it's your opinion of value, but don't let your opinion of value get... With the buyer's
2: opinion of value, if
1: your opinion of value is more than his, well, it's worth more than you. And next time, Landon appraises it, it will be worth that much.
2: That's right. And you know, if you're looking for a deal, you're not going to be. You're not going to find the property that you want. And I think you've touched on that before. Getting the right property is important. And I tell people this with houses too. You know, my buddies will call me about this house, and I'm like, "Well, uh, how long?" My first question is, "How long are you going to be there?" Now, if you're going to be there for a long time, then go ahead. Take the five or ten thousand dollars out of pocket that it didn't appraise for, and go ahead and do it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you got the money, you won't regret it later because this is the house that you want. And you know, if you want to flip a house and only live in it two or three years, well, then don't buy it. But you know, those properties that you show, you know, th- these really great properties that sometimes may not appraise, you know, you're gonna you're gonna regret it if you don't buy it. Then that's right,
1: that's right. And,
2: <laughs> and look, with land values going up, maybe it, maybe it takes. Six
1: months, a year, two years for it to get to the value you bought it at. Well, if you don't plan on selling it, you're there. Well, what's the big deal? All right, we're going to start. Keep going down this uh, list of questions. Uh, do solar panels add much value to appraisals? I can answer that. They're worth what they're worth what they cost to get there minus what they've depreciated. I can answer yeah. that.
2: I couldn't even speak on it because I've only seen about two of them in 10 years. So, <laughs> Did you do that one? I saw, I've sold it twice down in
1: Centerville, had solar panels run in the cabin? I don't think so. You've probably seen it on the uh, appraisals. I think we talked about it. Uh, what's the impact to a property value if it has been select cut or clear cut? Okay, I'll answer that for landing. Um, if it's been clear cut, well, then you're dealing with the dirt value. If it's been select cut, you're dealing with what timbers left there. That goes back to the timber versus uh, timber versus dirt equation, how we get land values. Um, all right, this comes from Brad Smith. He's a UC agent down in Florida. He's probably a good question. He knows the stuff. In a quickly and changing market like we have been experiencing, how does an appraiser address adjustment for the time when using a sale that may be several months or a year old?
2: That's a good question. So the, the theory behind this is easy to understand. But a lot of the classes, when, you know, when you get your appraisal license, a lot of these classes, uh, the theories make sense, but they're a lot harder to apply. So the way I tell people is, you know, my brother-in-law lives in Charleston, South Carolina. and He lives in a neighborhood where almost all the houses are the same. There's probably multiple houses with the same exact floor plan. One has a pool, one doesn't. Well, that's easy. If, if one sold for 300 and one sold for 310 I guess the pool was worth 10 That doesn't happen here. Almost no houses are the same. A lot of times we'll get kickbacks. Especially and, with land. Oh, I mean, that's what we just discussed is every land track's different from, from the size of it to how much timber's on it to what kind of improvements are on it. Um, but the, the best way is to use a paired sale analysis to where you have two sales that were arm's length. So if the, if the property sold for three years ago and no timber was cut and it was pretty much in the same condition as when it sold again, if it went up 10%, well, then you could use that to make an adjustment of 10% on some of your other sales. The problem is, is that you have to have some evidence on some of your adjustments. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, especially on these Timberland tracks, it's hard to track where those adjustments should be, if that makes sense.
1: And and also, you know, whenever Landon does an appraisal, he's usually appraising the dirt. And then... If you do a hundred percent appraisal, you're also appraising the timber, which is a timber cruise. And timber cruises can change weekly. Exactly. And who's buying the timber and things like that? And it look it's hard for a timber cruiser, you know, it's hard for him to hit it because he's got to protect himself. What can you sell it for today? And, And and it's tough. And that speaking of that, it makes me think, so and I talked about this a little bit earlier. I just want to touch on it again. You know, the days where we said dirt was worth this and timber's worth this and the places praises for this. Man, some of the, like Wilkeson and Amick County and West Felicia, West Felicia, yeah, definitely, in Adams County, some of these really sought-after areas. Are we going to, as Slade's job and Landon's job, are we going to have to start saying, okay, People aren't buying these places for the timber as much anymore. Not that it's not part of the equation, and readjust for just whole values. Like what I mean by that is something that I'm going to contradict what I've said in the past. I said if an agent just tells you in Wilson County your land's worth 3,500, well, why? Why is it worth 3,500? And my question was, okay, if you had 2,300 dirt and 1,200 timber, 3,500? Yes. I don't know if we're not getting wrong now because. Things like if you take the right place with the right deer pictures in the right area, that's what it's so much demand, and it's not just here recently. This is this has been a trend for five years. Of like, if you get like right now, if I listed a hundred acres in Wilson County with three food plots, a two-acre pond, just let's just throw out camp for right now. No camp, good road runs in a good area. I wouldn't put it on the internet. I, I would. This is how I would put it on the internet. I would be there like an open house. From 10 to 2 on Saturday, make your highest and best. That's where we're at in the market. Yeah. It's like,
2: almost like an auction. Well, and it, it touches on a point that I me and you talked about <coughs> the other day, where if you've got a track that's just loaded up with timber, let's say it has 15, 1,500 an acre worth of timber in it, most of the time, if I'm advising someone who just called me blindly to give an a price, I'll say, look, this is what it's worth. If I was you, I would probably talk to a forester, and I'd probably go through there and select cut it pretty hard, or maybe you know, if it's plantation pine, I'd go ahead and thin it. Because it probably won't change the value when you sell it.
1: That, that's true. And I think it goes
2: back to what we said is the buyers, the way the buyers are buying these properties, the way they're making their offers is different.
1: And And... You know, that that changes some of the investment strategies of buying a piece of land around here because we used to be so timber involved, and it is. But our dirt is going up in value faster than our timber is growing, in my opinion. And that's what I'm seeing. I, I don't see that changing because I hear it in my clients' voices when they look at land, what their friends are doing. You know, most of our clients in southwest Mississippi come from Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Houma, you know, south, south Louisiana. And they're just... They they love this stuff and and and, and you know <coughs> excuse me. And I just don't see it slowing down. So I think Landon and I and every other appraiser and bank and everything, you know, we're gonna almost have to start adjusting, you know, to almost whole values.
2: Yeah, and the other thing that's gonna be a challenge here is that every bank's different. And so some of these banks they don't want to loan on the timber value because they don't wanna to have to sit there and babysit. It, it, you know, if a guy buys 300 acres and they and they loan on the whole value, they don't want him to go out there and whack all the timber off, and then now they're sitting upside down in their loan. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then some banks look at me like I'm crazy when I ask them if they want to separate the timber <laughs> from the dirt. What do you mean? Because yeah. because they're like, well, I don't understand. Well, I'm like, well, you know, they might go out there and cut all the timber, and then you've gone from a nice recreational track with a $1,200 $1, an acre worth of timber to a piece of cutover that nobody's going to want to buy, you know. That's right. And so now you're sitting up. Now the bank's sitting upside down in this property, and if they get it back, they're going to be in big trouble. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, and going back to you know, if you do have a lot of timber on your place, and before you put on the market cutting it, now there's one caveat to that. Uh, well, first of all, clear cuts ugly is hard to sell. Don't matter, you know what it is. If it's a car or a boat or, or a piece of land, ugly is hard to sell. It yep. just it's harder to sell, and. With the nature of timber cutting, that's what my dad and my brother do, it uglies it up for a little while. I mean, it's it's nature. It, it heals itself in 18 months. All you need is a growing season, maybe two, and it heals itself. So you have to take that in consideration, time, value, money, and and what that means. So that's that's always something to consider. If you are going to cut, sometimes makes it a little harder to sell. Scott Lindsay brings up some good things sometimes. Hey, forget thinning and I'll make a patch clear cut. That way you know you got bed area right there. And only uglies a select part, not a bad idea, and it's actually easier for a logger. So something else to consider. Lori, uh, Lori commented on our social media. She said, "No pressure, Landon." Huh. All right, we're going to kind of get to the end of this thing. Um, let me see if I missed anything. Or is there anything that you that you you have we haven't touched on? You've been thinking about.
2: Well. I- One thing I will agree uh, that you mentioned is that, and and Slade's a good one, is that we do a lot of estate work as well, and uh, we help people making purchases and doing all kinds of things. The most successful people out there hire professionals, and I touched on this with Slade. You know, you need a good land guy, you need a good accountant, you need a good attorney, and uh, no matter where you're at, I don't know if you're listening to this locally here in our area or if you're, you know, anywhere in the country, uh, when you hire your professionals, try to get some referrals you know uh, that's that's Slade's not going to refer you to somebody that he can't put full faith and confidence in, uh, and that whether that be a surveyor or a timber guy or a real estate agent, and those people that surround themselves wind up being more successful in the long run with with their investments and things like that. Um, but just you know, one of the big things about appraisals is I stay in my area. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. A-, a million percent. And so I try. I, we go over to about Columbia. We go all the way to the river. We cover the first three, three or four parishes in Louisiana, and there are some properties that I don't appraise. Uh, for example, I don't I don't. I try to stay away from Hammond doing commercial. Okay, but but as far as everything else, I stay in my area. And if someone has a property that's outside of my area, I will say, look, I appreciate you, but uh, but I'm gonna have to get you a referral to somebody else. I don't really cover that area. Uh, that's one of the biggest things. A lot of appraisers, they'll go way outside of what they know.
1: And that's why it's, it's you're you're saying stay in your lane. And look, it sounds like some – look, I mean, I'm going to say this. I'm a trustworthy guy. I know I am. I know I, I guess untrustworthy people probably say that about themselves. But whenever I hear somebody – when I don't know who the appraiser is going to be, I don't know who the banker is going to be, I don't know who the attorneys going to be, you just don't know how much that scares up an agent. It's not because we're like, oh, my gosh, we're not going to cheat somebody. It's nothing that. It's like Landon knows what he's doing. I had an appraiser that is actually a pretty good appraiser in this area, and he appraised a piece of landlocked property the other day for us that my client was trying to buy, and he didn't know anything about the access or how you get there. He went in on a road that he couldn't le- legally access, and I could eat his appraisal apart. I mean, it, there's nothing you could say. And everybody, the attorney and the 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 appraiser, they knew more than me. I said, look, I'm not being ragadocious or anything. I said, I sell all around this every day. Every comp you have on there, my name's on. It won't sell for that. So what does it seem like? Slaves trying to get a cheaper first client, which I am, but I'm I'm being truthful. Like, you got to stay in your lane and know what you're doing. If I go to... Uh if I go to Pike County, Illinois tomorrow, guess what? I don't really know that much about those values. It's just too expensive, and so I stay in my lane. Uh now that now you you know, you can go <clears throat> sometimes we list stuff a little bit out of our core area trying to grow our business and we really have to lean on people that are in our toolbox like Landon or maybe a local appraisal in that area or a banker or things like that. And you know, we can we can try to do those sort of thing, but I think it landon touched on a very important topic. Stay in your lane. When you contract or you're doing real estate, make sure you you got a a good agent. If it's me or if it's another another company, they're local. They know things that that man. Look, you you just the, the nightmares we hear about. Well, this agent said this. That, that, how do they know? They're not from here, you know. And and what ends up happening, you know, then those agents that that are, are are replaced. Well, they end up calling us anyway. Yep. We're ended up gonna have to do the work for him anyway. If it's attorneys the same way, an outside attorney trying to close something in Wilson County. Adam or,
2: or Sarah's gonna end up doing the, the work anyway. Right. And and the same thing, you know, I, I come in on the back end of some deals where this guy's confused about my appraisal why it's so low. And I said, What do you mean? He said, Well I bought this track over here. And it appraised for 2500 And I said, well, that seems – it depends on the area. But I said, wow, that seems really high for that area. I said, who did the appraisal? And he said, it was some guy from Alabama. And I was like, well, <laughs> there's your problem right there. You know, I don't know if the guy from Alabama did his due diligence to figure it out. But that seems mighty high. And then I ran it off, you know, talked to two or three other appraisers, and they all agree with me. Uh, that's the problem that people run into. But, you know, Benton Gibson, the guy who started this uh, United Country office – Years ago, he probably got out of it around 2009, 2010. But uh, he's the guy who trained me in the appraisal business. And one of the key things he told me when I started was, look, Landon, just always be honest, help people out. Don't worry about it. We turn all kind of appraisal work down all the time. But if you're honest and help people out, then the money will come later. And I think that's true in any profession. My wife's uh, got a jewelry store here in town. It's the same thing in jewelry. you gotta, you got to trust who your jeweler is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to trust your appraiser. you got to trust your real estate agent. And if you don't have that trust, you're going to run into some problems.
1: I told that to uh, Sarah Jones at Jones Law Group the other day. I told Sarah I was signing a bunch of papers. I was buying a piece of land. And, I, and, and you know, I was jokingly saying, I said, if I have to read all this stuff, I'm going to find me a new attorney. It, I agree. Facetiously, and that's, and, that, and that's the thing. Not that I knew what any of it said anyway. So, Landon, you listened to a couple of these things, and I'm sure you've thought about this. All right. You got $100 million and you get to go buy land anywhere for any reason 100 million net bunch of money where are we
2: buying and why well I, i'm gonna have to go with everybody else i would buy most of it locally mm-hmm. uh just because you know growing up here and uh my grandpa had, has a place between here and tallertown and uh but i'd have to get some duck on property and i don't know where i'd have to go i might have to go to missouri because stuttgart's been pretty uh pretty rough the last mm-hmm. couple of years so probably have to go and get a little duck hunting property up in missouri that way my, my buddies come up there and we'll do plenty of duck hunting
1: well you got a hundred million dollars you could buy it anywhere because you can get a plane that's true or, yeah
2: i guess yeah. i have to get my pilot's license too but because that that's a long haul even to stuttgart mm-hmm. let alone going to where you're going what is that pike county missouri
1: no that's actually in harrison county missouri the new place is up basically it's
2: in iowa oh it's a long place that's a long trip but a, you know that's that's what i get for starting duck hunting it's uh it's it's too expensive everything about it you got to drive too far uh i should have just stuck with the deer i I could get them out of my backyard been much easier but yeah we'll get most of it here we'll get a little bit a little bit of duck hunting land up there i think that's what i'd do
1: all right well i'm just looking sure making sure we answered all the questions new ryan you got any any good questions for him or did you learn anything today i feel like i missed about half of it you did You can't teach these kids nothing, old
2: Miss fans, you know. Well, when he, when I came in here, when he first started working, I said, You know, you ought to work for Slade. I said, It'd be a a good learning experience. And he's like, That's what I'm doing. I said, Well, bingo, here you go. There you go.
1: Well, Landon, we appreciate you having, uh, we appreciate you coming on the Hunting Land Man podcast. Again, this thing is brought to you by Southern Ag Credit. They take good care of us here on the podcast, good, good, take good care of our clients. (laughs) I think we learned a lot today. This is one of, if not the best, one of the best podcasts we did. Just from an informational stuff, you need to know about appraisals and 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 just you know where appraisals come from. And I really mean that in the fact of don't let a, what a, what a appraiser's opinion of value and your opinion of value, you know, because you purchased it for that much or thinking about purchasing it that much. Don't let, don't let that get in the way if it's a small percentage and it's not going to affect you five or twenty years from now because it's. You know, the the goal, remember the goal of the wife. If you're buying it to flip, different, as you said, different, different deal. But if you're buying it to keep and enjoy with your family, you need to take that into consideration. Landon, if you will, hit that blue button and we're going to get on out of here. Hey, thank you for listening to the Hunt and Landman podcast. If you will, take a moment, give us a five-star written review, guys. This really helps us out. And if you know anybody you think will be interested in this podcast, please share it with them.